Finally, officially feels like spring for the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, because we are on location. Well, not we. One of us is on location. Sam, you're on location. How's location? You're always on location, aren't you? Yeah, kind of, I guess. Sort of. You want to put it that way? I'm outside of the the, the normal uh, locale for you, for the office. Right. I I am in Tampa currently. Um, Just to bring everybody in to where we we are at right now. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, normally we record on Wednesday, but we're doing this on Tuesday because I'm going to be at Yankees camp all day tomorrow. Um, so when you're hearing this on Thursday, go, go find what I wrote about the Yankees. Uh, I have some plans for that, but I don't want to talk about it until it happens. So some fun stuff there. I'll definitely have an interview for everybody from Yankees camp tomorrow in this podcast. Um, you know, who that is, is, is redacted until it, it becomes true. So it's a teaser. Yeah. Uh, you guys will know. Yeah, you'll already know by having downloaded it and having it in the right. title of the episode. But as of right now, we don't even know. So, so you listeners are already ahead of me. Yeah, you're ahead of me. You're technically ahead of me. This I don't is know. Weird Matrix stuff. Yeah. It's all this Doctor Who stuff. Anyways, <laughs> um, so yeah, we're we're doing this on Tuesday. A lot of fun this week for me. Um, you know, Yankees coming up on Wednesday. Uh, Phillies on Thursday. Braves on Friday. Three really solid systems. Um, all really close here in, in Florida and kind of, you know, central Florida area. Um, yeah, should, so it should be a lot of fun and, and we'll pick it up from there. Uh, Tyler, when are you, when are you getting to Arizona again? With Sunday Josh? night, Sunday night, I'll be hitting Phoenix. Uh, Josh Jackson will be driving from Los Angeles that day. I'll be flying down from Denver and then really Monday through Friday. It's just a, a free for all for us. And Josh and I have kind of started to get an idea of who's going to be headed where we already have our assignments for our 2017 prospect primers, um, which is one of our most uh, popular features of the year throughout uh, the entirety of all the feature stuff that we do. Everybody really likes the prospect primer stuff because it gets you ready for the season. It's also a big hit. I know with the the fantasy community, people who are sort of keeping an eye out for dark horse candidates that could make an impact on a major league roster, but prospect primers are always a ton of fun for us. So we have our assignments for those. So I know Josh and I are sort of getting an idea of where we're going to be, but I'll be down there on, uh, on Sunday. And then I am headed out of Phoenix on Saturday, but you are going to be in Florida like forever. Yeah. Until St. Patrick's day. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a very whirlwind tour. I'm staying in Tampa half the time, staying in West Palm beach half the time. So that that's a lot of fun, but enough about the future for us. Let's talk about the present. Let's do it. We haven't even brought up what, episode this is no we haven't which is uh it's a big one. it is a big one we were being we we're being modest you know uh the the haters and losers as the president would term them probably never thought we'd make it to 100 episodes but here we are a hundred a hundred episodes sam which one of us is the hater and the loser if we never thought we would make it for ourselves <laughs> let's just blame jake signer let's call him the hater <laughs> it's it's all on jake rest in peace jake um yeah 100 episodes of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I think that Man. means we go into syndication. My goodness. Yeah, that's true. I think true. TBS picks up our old episodes and just re-airs <laughs> them at 3.30 on Thursdays. So this is fantastic. Though. This is great. We'll get a lot of royalty money from that. Um, yeah, I uh, I balk at the idea of how much time I've spent recording and editing this podcast. In addition to another podcast I do, I think it's already been like almost two weeks of my life I've spent recording and editing podcasts. Because 100 hours... That's like a week. That's like a full work week of not and not just in a work week. I mean, like a full 24 hour day 
play that out over four and a half, five days. Like that's a long time you could spend listening to this podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. And if anybody wants to try that, feed, yeah, um, do it for us. We'll we'll do something for you. That's <laughs> so how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Should be fun. But yeah, this is pretty awesome. We made it to 100 episodes. What did you what was the, the episode number that you joined us on? 19. I honestly can't remember. I can't either now. I mean, I, I was a special guest. Um, yeah. The but then you took thousand. over uh, pretty shortly after that as, uh, you know, the brains behind the operation. And, uh, yeah, we've been, you know, making podcasting history ever since, Sam. Yeah, in the least smooth transition of all time. <laughs> it was pretty good. I loved it. It was great. Um, so thank you to all of you who have joined us for however many of our 100 episodes that you've been around for. Uh, if there's anybody out there who has actually listened to, if you believe that you've actually listened to every episode of the show before the show podcast, you should really get in touch podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us. I'm at Tyler Mon. Sam was at Sam Dykes or MILB. If there's anybody out there who got onto us from week number one, I would really love to know that. I think that'd be super cool. Maybe it's the dude with the zoom. Feel like Maybe. he would be a he would have been a stalwart. He would have hung on for a while. He's hung on to the Zoom this long. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's him. Maybe it's some of the other guys who you know give us shout outs every week uh, on Twitter. I know John is one of our yeah fans out there. I'm sure Thank he's John. been with us since day one. Um, my challenge would kind of be find a deep cut, find like a second strike. Yeah, so like 17 or something. Right, um, something, something that you that remember. That you were like, oh just yeah, this yeah really weird now. Uh, try to find the deepest cut you can in the podcast and tweet that at us and we'll uh, we'll either, we'll retweet you and and celebrate your find uh, whatever you do find. So, yeah, that, that that would be my episode 100 challenge. That's a good call. I like it. And uh, if you have been with us for all 100 episodes, you are already probably a loyal listener slash subscriber. But if you are not. You can head on to iTunes and the Stitcher app and wherever else you find your podcast and give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast. It's very handy. Uh, we wrote up a story yesterday about Tim Tebow, who will be getting his first major league game experience uh, coming up on Wednesday in a Grapefruit League game for the Mets and went to MILB.com slash podcast, searched by his name found the episode in which we had Tim Tebow on quoted him in the story that we wrote linked to that episode. It's very easy at MILB.com slash podcast to catch up on anything that you have missed. And with that, we will get started with strike number one of episode number 100 of the show before the show podcast. Sam is in spring training. We are through a couple of weeks of spring training. Now, Sam, who's standing out to you from week number two in spring training? Yeah, I want to kind of talk about and I want to get a little bit deeper into this when I'm in Braves camp later this week, but Ronald Acuna, uh, you know, he's, uh, yeah. he's a, let's see if we, we, I can do the math on the top of my head. Uh, he is 19 years old out of Venezuela. Uh, you know, a player who just played, I think about 40 games last year at, uh, class a Rome. Um, so not a lot of time, you know, even at the lowest levels last year, he played exactly 40 games for class a Rome this year. In spring training, you know, being just 19, just turned 19 in December, uh, he's already six for 13 in spring training. Small sample, I get that. And, you know, I'm not trying to look too much into his 40 to 62 average here uh, for the Braves. But the fact that they are giving a 19-year-old 13 at-bats this early and they're they're rolling him out for starts. It's not just, you know, two at-bats here, uh, one at-bat, pinch at-bat, you know, pinch hit at-bat here and there. This is a guy they're getting regular time, and it, it's it's just fascinating for me. I don't know how much of that is 
them trying to get him back up to speed. You know, he had thumb surgery last year. He did end up playing in the Australian Baseball League, Tyler, which you are well-versed in. Yeah, he tore uh, it up. Yeah, he, he was there for a month from November 18th to December 18th. Hit 375 in that league with a 1.011 or 1.001 OPS um, and 13 steals in 20 games. So he's, you know, for a system that's already, you know, we know so good, he's the number eight prospect in that system. <laughs> for them to be leaning on him so much right now is just kind of fascinating. What does that tell us about, you know, how they view him? Is he advanced? Could he move quickly? Is this just, you know, a system without that many good outfielders? I mean, when we talk about their best position prospects, it's all infielders, right? It's Dansby Swanson, it's Ozzie Albies, it's Kevin Maiton, who is way too far away from getting Grapefruit League, Grapefruit League action. Um, and then you've got Acuna, who is, I guess, the best, you know, outfield prospect in that system. So is this just getting a look at him? You know, what does this kind of mean? I'm just fascinated by that. So, you know, we'll have to see how much they keep giving him, whether he kind of keeps this up, what, where it carries him. Is he going to be at, you know, Class A Advanced Florida, that wickedly exciting roster uh, that we're going to talk about more as, as we get closer to the season? Or, you know, is he fast-tracked even further than that? Are we looking at a guy like Ozzie Alves who jumped straight from Rome to, to Mississippi? I, I don't want to say that's going to happen, you know, Akuna which missed way too much time, even if with the made up time, in the Australian baseball league, um, you know, I don't think they're going to push him that hard, but the fact that they're leaning on him right now in this way is just kind of fascinating to me. And I, I, I don't see it with any other kind of teenager in baseball right now. So he, he's going to be one I'm kind of keeping an eye on the rest of the way. Uh, who's on your list, Tyler? One of the guys I really like is the top prospect in the Oakland A's organization, and it goes kind of on the opposite end of what you're talking about with a guy who's only played such low-level ball. Franklin Barreto has played really high-level ball. Last season was fantastic for A Midland in the Texas League and then jumped up after 119 games in A. He played four games to finish the season in A with the Nashville Sounds of the Pacific Coast League. But so far, he's played in eight games for the A's. Six of his first 13 that's a 462 average. He's OPSing 995. They're all single so far, uh, but reaching at a very good rate and on base percentage of 533. He's walked once. He struck out four times. Attempted a couple of stolen bases and been caught twice. But Franklin Barreto, the last steps for him before he's a major league impact guy. And uh, to handle the spring training work that you are given is really all you can do at this stage. These guys don't have any control over their performance leading them somewhere in terms of a roster assignment to start the season. You can't control where you're going. So when you're given the opportunities, you basically just have to do everything humanly possible with them. If I'm in the player development department for the A's or for any other organization, and we have a guy who is a highly regarded talent, we're throwing him in there for major league experience, and he's coming out and putting together really impressive performances. That's the best case scenario. So Franklin Barreto, uh, another good day today. We're recording, as Sam said, uh, on the 7th, and he came in as a pinch hitter, had a hit today, scored a run, drove in a run uh so you know when when it's top level talent guys and they're doing things that you want to see top level talent guys do it's always fun to watch yeah the thing with Barreto for me is um you know he's always been a, a really solid hitter uh has pretty good power for a middle infield guy uh but w the thing for me is he kind of reminds me of Raul Mondesi back when he was coming up you know Raul Mondesi the young one the younger yeah uh to make it sound like Game of Thrones um Raul Mondesi the Younger, he was the youngest guy everywhere he went. You know, they he would struggle a little bit, 
He would hit, you know, mid 200s, but you would say, oh, he's just a 19 year old playing at double A Texas League or something like that. You know, they're they're pushing him too hard, not pushing him too hard, but they're pushing him aggressively. Barreto, everywhere he's gone, even, you know, when he was with the Blue Jays, he was being kind of pushed aggressively. And he's he hasn't thrived necessarily in, in a way like a Julio Urias did when he was so young. But he has been more impressive to me offensively anyways than Mondesi ever was in, in that kind of level. And that makes me even more excited. You know, this is how we're going to kind of build on this. Um, you know, we kind of look at that now. I think Addison Russell, everybody's kind of pointing to him as a guy who could have a breakout season this year in the majors because he's been so young in the majors these last couple of years for the Cubs. Barreto, the way he keeps building on this, I think by the time he gets to the majors, he's going to be at least a league average hitter, and he's going to be so young at that level, he can go even higher than that. Um, so... Yeah, to to see him do what he's doing this spring only kind of feeds that that mentality I kind of have about him, and we'll have to see how that carries into the the PCL where we know he's a hitters league anyway. So how how much is he going to thrive there? Strike two this week, Sam is a fun one. The prospect system rankings, the farm system rankings of prospects, continue this week for us. And Kelsey Hennigan has been tackling our top prospects ages twenty one and younger, and ranking every major league farm system all 30 in terms of their talent in prospects 21 and younger the top 10 not released as of today but it'll be out by the time you hear this on wednesday or thursday and uh, obviously we got the hookup to get the look uh, at what it's going to be when it does come out and the atlanta braves will take the top spot in these rankings as they did last week i don't know if if any of us had any inkling as to who would come out on top. I think we had a discussion about that last week, but the Braves were uh, were top in the in the pitching rankings. Uh, but the Atlanta Braves do come out number one. Los Angeles Dodgers number two. That's an interesting one Sam and I will talk about. The New York Yankees at three. Houston Astros come in fourth. Pittsburgh Pirates number five. Chicago White Sox number six. The New York Mets number seven. The Boston Red Sox number eight. Cleveland Indians number nine. And the Colorado Rockies number ten. One of the things that really stands out to me in this and throughout this series so far is the top ten with very few changes seems like it remains the top ten. And it seems like it remains the top ten pretty much in this order, which means not only are those systems good, but they're built in a deep sense and they're built in a very complete sense. It's not just that. There are teams, you know, the Cubs of a few years ago who are just loaded with position players and don't really have the pitching talent. Uh, the systems that we've seen so far garner top five, top ten rankings have done so across the board, position players, pitchers, and under 21 players, 21 and under players to this point. Yeah, and that, that's almost what makes it more interesting to me, the, the systems that kind of pop into these top fives and top tens, um, or, you know, the ones that are peaking, at least in this category. And I think for me... The team that it, this is kind of a category made for them, even though they were number two, was the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, we know the talent that's in that system. You know, we, it was probably even more talented last year uh, when we were talking about them because, you know, Corey Seager was still there. Julio Urias was still a prospect. Um, those guys have since graduated. But what are you left with is a ton of young talent. I mean, Cody Bellinger, you know, it, we talked to him at length this offseason season. He could be a really, really impressive first baseman, both offensively and de defensively. There are tons of people who think his bat is ready right now. Uh, you know, he's an option in the outfield. Will he get called up early to be used as an outfield? We know the, the Dodgers, they have a plethora of outfielders, but somebody has to win the job. Bellinger could be good enough, you know, by June or July to kind of take that. Uh, 
Yadier Alvarez looking further down the system, I think there are people out there who think he can actually be an ace. And I don't mean that in just kind of like, yeah, he's their top pitching prospect. Of course he can be an ace. That's not true of top pitching prospects everywhere. He has the velocity. He has the repeatable delivery. Um, you know, working on the breaking stuff. As he climbs, he could kind of go even higher. He's number 49 overall right now. Could get even better. Alex Verdugo is number 61. I mean, these are all guys who are going to be 21 or younger on opening day. Gavin Lux, you know, they're, uh, I think he was a first-round pick last year. Justice Sheffield was, or excuse me, not Justice Sheffield, Jordan Sheffield was the 36th overall pick last year. This is a, a system that we knew was so young last year, graduated some guys, and it still remains fairly strong, not as strong, but fairly strong, and still incredibly young. I mean, this is probably the favorites to win the NL West, certainly, and they're in the conversation with the, the Cubs to win the entire National League. You don't think of this is a, a team that needs a youthful injection, and yet there it is waiting for them. Um, so that's that's just going to be fascinating for me. Um, you know, the Braves, the, the Yankees, we've kind of talked about them at length already. The Pirates are going to be high when we come out with our overall farm system rankings in a couple weeks. But this category in particular just kind of seems like it's made – for the Dodgers, and that's why we have them at number two. You know, they're still not going to catch, you know, the Braves who have, you know, Ozzie Albies there, Austin Riley there, Colby Aller, Mike Soraka, Ian Anderson, Acuna, who we already talked about today. You know, the, their list just keeps going on and on and on with young guys, and, you know, we could talk until we're blue in the face about that. But, um, yeah, th this is just such a fun category to realize which systems are not only good but are also young and still have rooms to grow. As you pointed out, by the way, uh, Julio Urias could have been in these rankings still. And his Twitter handle is still the teenager at the teenager seven, which I think is an issue that needs to be brought up. Nobody's talking about this. But, uh, <laughs> I think it's, he's 20 years old now. I think it's an issue we need to discuss. But that's how good that system is. And um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. One of the other systems that I want to highlight. The San Diego Padres, the way that system has been remade, they check in at number 11, just miss out on the top 10. But the way that system has been remade since that offseason a couple of years ago when the Padres and A.J. Preller went insane, acquiring every big name, big money person they could, and it failed abysmally. The Padres since then have gone really back to the A.J. Preller drawing board. A.J. Preller was very good at spying amateur and young professional talent and building a system when he was with the Texas Rangers. That's what the Padres are doing now. They're number 11. They've been very well represented in the farm system ranking so far. So if you're a Padres fan, there's obviously a lot of good stuff on the way there. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the Padres too. Remember last week, uh, you know, we asked Jim Callis, you know, which farm system do you think has kind of the most fuel, which could kind of push itself further? And he mentioned the Padres. And we have Padres at number 11 here in terms of youthful talent just because they have a lot of really young guys who haven't quite proven themselves yet. I mean, Anderson Espinosa is kind of the, the crown jewel when it comes to that. But Adrian Morajon, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, those are two guys who we haven't quite seen it, Tatis we've seen stateside, but Morahone certainly we haven't seen stateside yet. We haven't seen them crack full season ball. So, you know, they have the talent to do well there. They just haven't established themselves yet here in those types of leagues. I think if they do and they show the talent that they have, they're easily top 100 guys and they can kind of creep into there this year. So we could be talking about the Padres in, in a year's time and the way we're talking about some of these other top 10 systems.
One final note, as also applied with the position players and the pitchers, uh, D-backs fans, you could probably skip this series. Um, Strike three this week, Sam. A reader-submitted question from Terry Shelley, who asks, kind of a unique one for us, in which we will discuss a couple of guys who are not yet professionals. But his question is, quote, how would you rank Mickey Moniak, Jaron Kendall, and Royce Lewis for their long-term potential? Now, coming into 2017... Jaron Kendall, the outfielder from Vanderbilt, and Royce Lewis, the prep shortstop slash outfielder from California who is committed to play at UC Irvine. Neither of those guys obviously yet has been selected in a major league draft or has played a professional game in the minor leagues yet. But two guys who are very highly regarded going into the 2017 season, now currently in the 2017 season. Uh, And a comparison to Mickey Moniak, who was the top overall selection in last year's draft. Kind of a last-minute thing. I think we heard pretty definitively the day before the draft, maybe two days before the draft, the Phillies were going to go with Mickey Moniak, but that was very much up in the air until the last hours. It felt like how the top five and top 10 would shake out. But what's your thought on this one? Yeah. So it, it's, it, I mean, you, you kind of touch on it a little bit in that the draft isn't quite in our wheelhouse until we get kind of closer to that. And I mean, that's for a reason they were the Meyer leagues, you know, we're, we're focused on the guys in our purview. Um, so Moniac now is very much in our purview, uh, in terms of Kendall and Royce Lewis, you know, we, we kind of defer to the pipeline guys. They have their own top 50 draft picks right now. Uh, Kendall is number two. Lewis is number three. Kendall, you know, a guy at, at Vanderbilt an outfielder there. Royce Lewis is a, uh, you know, prep player in California plays shortstop and the outfield. So the thing about Moniac was going into last year, you know, what we knew at this time, you know, based on what we were kind of reading a little bit, was that, you know, he was a good high school bat, probably a first-round talent, but Blake Rutherford was the better talent going into their senior year. As things kind of progressed, Blake Blake Rutherford's still a really talented player, but Moniak just got so much better that spring, ended up pipping him, ended up being a first overall pick. He was actually number five. Uh, when Pipeline finished up its its draft rankings, um, so they didn't have him as a you know tacked on number one overall pick type player uh, when they finished up their stuff. But um, you know now we've seen him in the GCL. We know he can kind of hang in the pros. Uh, I was actually watching a documentary the other day on Derek Jeter, and he talked about how difficult the GCL is because it's your first time maybe facing failure. It's a fir- first time majorly away from home. Uh, around guys you didn't grow up with uh, and Moniac certainly held his own there so now we can we think if he can hold his own in the GCL which is not a hitters league by any means uh, you know his ceiling even bumps up a little higher uh, based on that summer last year Kendall Lewis we haven't seen them in those environments yet um, particularly Lewis you know he's still a high school player for all we know he could have a Moniac rise or a Rutherford kind of stagnation uh, it, it's too early in the spring to kind of make these calls. I, I personally, it's a, it's a fun discussion piece. You know, we, we can talk about it. Uh, you know, what they all kind of bring to the table in terms of a ranking. I think it's, it, it, you know, we all love mock drafts. The NFL draft is right now, uh, the stupid combine. And I, I say that I don't enjoy the combine at all. It uh, is weird that people are super fired up about like watching guys run the 40 on live television. Right. Yeah. We we see them in games like how you know how it translates in games. You're and not- like 
I don't, and I, I used to be a producer on a radio show that was strictly football, and the guy, this is a very brief aside, but the guy who was the host of the show is like the world's biggest nerd on that kind of stuff. And my question to him was always like, in what play in an NFL game does a guy just bust off the line and run 40 yards in a straight line and that's all he does? Like, how? what are you telling from that? Or like jump as high as you can in the air and smack some planks off of a pole. I don't get like what you're learning there. It just seems like the baseball, the evaluation going into a baseball draft seems like at least it's a little more practical and applicable in that, oh, you're watching these guys play the sport that you're going to then pay them to play. I mean, it certainly helps that baseball is just so much more measurable, especially now. Right, definitely. You know, in the age of StatCast, we don't have StatCast for, for college or high school at all, but we know a guy throws 95. You know, we, we have hard data on that. We have hard data on his, you know, home to first times, his pop times if he's a catcher, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it, that makes it so much easier. I get that. Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of their entire springs left to play, uh, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable, especially having not seen Kendall or Lewis play myself, um, saying that they're significantly better than a Mickey Moniac. You know, based on what I read, I think Kendall has that potential. Uh, you know, he's already hit four homers for Vanderbilt this year. I think people kind of thought he had average power going into this year. Nobody else on that team has more than two. So if he can show that he has some pretty good power to to add with, you know, what MLB Pipeline gave, 70 speed, which is plus-plus speed. I mean, that's the potential for a special player. Um, but, you know, Kyle Lewis was a guy who won, uh, you know, awards at a Mercer. So trying to predict how this is all going to work itself out over a college baseball season when that's not our beat is kind of tough. So if, if I appreciate the question. I appreciate the discussion. We, we can certainly get back into this come end of May, beginning of June. Um, but if you're starting to think about the draft now, you know, there are people out there who are, who are certainly reporting that and on that. If you want to ask them, that's fine. But it, it's a little too early out to be thinking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of good hypothetical stuff, but so much can change over the course of a high school and a college season. Um, and long term, obviously, you know, a lot of guys get into rookie ball. A lot of guys get into class A and just can't get it figured out. And a lot of guys that you don't expect to get it figured out are the ones who blow up and end up racing to the major leagues and having great careers. So um, it'll definitely be fun to watch, but it's uh, a lot to shake out before the 2017 draft. That's three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. A couple of things that we wanted to get to is some foul balls. There's a really good piece up on the site right now. Michael Leboff, one of our writers at MILB.com has a really cool story on Mariners minor league reliever Dylan Unsworth, who is a native of Durban, South Africa. Uh, We have discussed on this show a couple of different times uh, Gift and Gope, who is a fellow South African product, baseball product from uh, a nation in Africa that plays maybe the best ball in Africa. There are some other countries in Africa that have started to rise up to the level of South African baseball, but the baseball pioneers that have come out of South Africa are now really reaching the stages where they could make the major leagues. Gift Angope seems like he would probably be the closest guy. He's on the 40-man. He's played in AAA. But Dylan's un- Dylan Unsworth is really good. Uh, last season, he went 4-1 and one with a three-even ERA in the Arizona Fall League. Um, so he is definitely a guy to keep an eye on, and there's a really cool story that's up on the site right now about that. Uh, and unfortunately, we have to once more for the second straight week uh, extend our condolences to an organization in the International League. Uh, a very 
stunning story that came out of Durham. Home clubhouse manager Colin Saunders of the Durham Bulls passed away last week. He was 42 years old uh, from complications from diabetes. And you could tell just from the immediate reaction on social media what he meant not only to the Bulls front office, but to players who passed through Durham throughout their careers uh, and the Bulls in a story put out that, you know, over the course of his 14 seasons in Durham and 17 seasons in the Rays organization, he had worked with guys like Evan Longoria and David Price and Chris Archer and Ben Zobris and all these stars. With the Bulls, he had worked with two International League Hall of Fame managers and Bill Evers and Charlie Montoyo. Jared Sandberg, who is a current manager in Durham, he's been a guest on the podcast in the past. He tweeted about the loss, but we saw so many players tweeting about what a loss it was uh, for somebody who has an impact uh, on a, a major league club and the way it develops players in a much larger role than I think the average person realizes. And at 42 years old, Colin Saunders uh, leaving us and uh, the Durham Bulls, I got a chance to talk to Mike Burling, the general manager of the Bulls, and um, obviously a, a heartbroken day for his organization. But one quote that I wanted to touch on, and if you're a member of a minor league front office, if you are a clubby, uh, you have to know how valued you are. And this is a quote from Mike Burling who said, quote, like I said, those are the unsung people. Fans don't get to know who a clubby is. The clubby is the guy who's meeting the team at three, four in the morning when the bus shows up or staying and vacuuming after everyone leaves at one in the morning. All those little things that have to get done to make sure that our players are successful. When you have somebody that's been here that long, he's going to be really hard to replace. Um, that is when I was a minor league radio guy, I remember showing up to the clubhouse those same times, three, four, five, sometimes it was eight, nine in the morning and being stunned that our guy Stan was in the clubhouse waiting for us when the bus rolled in at 3.30 a.m. They're very much the unsung people that keep the clock ticking for a minor league organization. So we extend our uh, our deepest sympathies to the Durham Bulls because you don't want to lose a member of your family ever. You certainly don't want to lose a member of your family after you've been with them for 14 years. And at 42, that's, that's a heartbreaking loss for Durham and for the Rays organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just to extend what, what Tyler was already saying, uh, you know, thoughts and to everybody out there, uh, who was touched by him. Um, you know, I, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. People don't really know clubbies because they're not, they're not doing interviews. They're not right. You know, on the front lines, they're, they're not trainers. They're not coming out onto the field. They're not doing anything like that. And yet there's so much that they do, literally behind the scenes uh, to make the wheels kind of turn and make baseball happen on a daily basis, which is just nuts. I mean, no, no sport does this quite the way ours does in that you are going to play almost every day for the spring, all of the summer, and then part of the fall. And there is somebody who needs to get everybody's gear ready for each of those days and needs to, you know, make the transition from road trips uh, as, you know, Difficult both in the majors and the minor leagues, um, you know, whether you're taking a plane, whether you're getting all the stuff off the, the truck, getting all the stuff off the bus. There is somebody who is doing that. And sometimes they have help and sometimes they don't. And, you know, if you get a chance, um, if you go to the park every day, if you're a season ticket holder for one of these minor league clubs, try to find out who these guys are. Um, you know, try to recognize that they are the, the people who, like I said, make the wheels turn on, on a daily basis. Um, it, and it, it, it uh, I'm going to be honest, it absolutely sucks that it takes a loss like this yeah. for us to bring this up. Yeah. But I don't want 
this to go by the wayside either. Um, so, you know, everybody in Durham has talked about how much he meant to them. And, you know, I, I want everybody else who is a clubby out there to kind of know how much they mean to the sport as a whole as well. And it's a rare capacity in that clubhouse managers really have a foot in two worlds. It's not often that, you know, maybe the the people on the media relations side are the other ones in this regard. But aside from a general manager, there are not that many people in a minor league front office that have a foot both in the on-field side and in the business side. And for a clubhouse manager, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of juggling the the finances of what you need in the clubhouse, how you need that operation to run from your own front office side while also having to juggle directives from the organization. So many clubs now are imposing uh, – not restrictions, but requirements on the type of nutrition that they need for their players. Guys can't just be going out with cold cut sandwiches and peanut butter and jelly. So there's a lot of stuff with the clubhouse personnel dealing with the way major league organizations want things run. So they really are part of the backbone uh, and part of the very small group that baseball would not be possible without. And so again, our, our hearts go out to the Durham Bulls who lose Colin Saunders way too early uh, and to Colin Saunders' family as well. His, uh, his mother and his brother and his uncle were with him at the time that he passed away. So our thoughts with the Bulls and with uh, with Collins family. And that will do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Uh, coming up on the show, a mystery guest. We don't even know yet, but uh, you know because you downloaded the episode. So whoever that is that Sam got from Yankees camp, coming up next with Sam. Hi, everybody. Uh, just checking in here uh, just to introduce our guest this week. Uh, I was able to grab at Yankees camp here in Tampa, uh, Kyle Higashioka. Uh, he's a catcher. They added to the 40-man roster uh, back in November. Uh, some of you right, might remember that I did a tool shed on him about what it was like to be added to the 40-man roster, um, particularly after his power jump. He hit five homers in 93 games in 2015. Uh, that jumped to 21 homers uh, over 202 games in 2016. Um, that's what helped push him onto the roster. He's now kind of third behind Austin Romine and obviously Gary Sanchez on that Yankees depth chart at the catching position. Uh, so we caught up a little bit. Uh, this interview is a little shorter than the interviews we normally do for the podcast that's because it's in a locker room atmosphere kyle had to kind of get going pretty quickly but um yeah it's a pretty good conversation hope you guys all enjoy it see you on the other side so yeah what's what's different about camp this year um you know now being on the 40 man haven't gone through that this offseason uh i mean it's nice uh you know being on the roster for camp you know it's (laughs) like you know first first experience with that so that's cool but uh, I'm really trying not to make it any different than past years. Um, you know, I've, for the last few years, I've always gone in with the mindset of trying to make the team. So even though it was unrealistic, but now it's no different. So. Yeah. What about the way you're kind of treated? You know, do you kind of work with pitchers a little bit more? What What about that kind of that work that you're doing while you're here? Um. Yeah. I mean. I definitely see, you know, I get to work with uh, some of the, you know, more established guys a lot more. Um, you know, been able to avoid a couple of the road trips I haven't played on, <laughs> which was, you know, nice. no going to Palm Beach yet so far. Well, if I play, I hope I go. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, right, yeah, right. 
But if I'm not playing, then it's nice to not have to go on the road. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's been it's been cool. It's been really cool. Yeah, and just kind of take me. What's the what's the life of a catcher? You know, you guys show up early. Obviously, everybody talks about pitchers and catchers, but you're learning so many different arms. You got to learn so many different repertoires. What's that kind of like? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely something that you got to take seriously because um, our job is to basically make the pitchers better whenever we can. And um, this is like the most important time to get to know the pitchers and, and to learn what they like to do and, and all that stuff before the season starts so that you don't have to go through that break-in period once once everything gets going. Mm-hmm. And offensively, when we spoke before, you were saying you're like a math and science guy. Kind of the way you thought about hitting in terms of meeting the ball, you know, with where it's coming. How much is kind of... Statcast and the way, way we think about launch angles. How much is that? Are you guys kind of talking about that even in the minors now? Um, even if the data is not necessarily there, but at least talking about that kind of stuff. I mean, it's definitely talked about. Uh, we have a whole sports science department that is really, um, really in tune with that stuff. And uh, you know, for me, I I don't even really worry about launch angle or anything I just make sure that you know I feel like I'm you know impacting the ball hard you know on a line or or in the air in BP and you know if I feel like like I'm, I'm doing that then I, I know I'm in the right spot mm-hmm. so it's even before you show up to the game whether you, where you know where you are based on BP, yeah I well I just know that you know if my if I can feel like I have a consistent swing plane then then I'm giving myself the best chance at the plate. Mm -hmm. So how have you felt in that kind of regard this spring in terms of you know trying to repeat you know 21 homers what it it was last year Um, (laughs) not necessarily trying to meet that exactly again but at least keeping the power where it was. Um, I feel really good Uh, hit a couple so far this spring so um, and you know I've I've really been I've been seeing the ball pretty well doing a, a good job being on time so um, I think that's that's you know pretty much the most important thing is making sure you give yourself a chance by not being late. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll end on this one. You know, it's, it's obviously so much people talking about the farm system here. You know, you've been here in Major League Clubhouse, but there's so many young guys around here. What is the feeling kind of amongst the young guys? You know, this used to have a reputation as kind of a veteran clubhouse. Now there's so many young guys here: Torres, Frazier, yourself, yeah. the whole group. Uh, what is it like, kind of mixing in with that, those guys with the veterans? I think uh, I think it's awesome, and I think they, they're the veteran guys are really embracing, you know, the young guys, and you know, um, the young guys definitely feel really comfortable, and 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 they're 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 taking the opportunity by the horns, you know, as it's probably evidenced by. You know, yesterday's win where, you know, we had mostly all young guys in the lineup at the end there. And, you know, we took the lead, you know, lost it, took the, or, you know, uh, went down again. And then in the ninth inning, came back and won it. So, I mean, you can just tell that, like, these guys, you know, they all want to win. So it's a good feeling. All right, great. Thanks so much, Kyle. Best of luck this spring. Thank you. There's that Simpsons episode um, that aired before. No, it must have been right after Super Bowl 33. 
between the Broncos and Falcons in which uh, Homer and Mo are talking in the bar about the Super Bowl's participants. And in order to leave it available for it to be edited for subsequent Super Bowls, they would hold their beer cups, their mugs up to their faces when they said Denver Broncos or Atlanta Falcons. And I feel like that's what we're doing, recording an outro from an interview that we don't even know who it was yet. But it was yeah. a great interview, though, Sam. Oh, thank you very much. It was good work. It was really good work. I, thought, I think we hit on all the major topics of the day. <laughs> His answer to the third question. It was, was fantastic. Particularly inspiring. Yeah, it was really good. It was really interesting stuff. Yeah. It was, you know. Now it makes me think I need to ask a super <laughs> interesting third question. For question number three, you really got to dig deep now. Yeah. I like it. Um, So Sam's already at spring training in Florida, as we noted. Went down there today. We're recording on Tuesday. Tomorrow will be his first day traveling to camps. I'm going to be doing that for about 10 days. I'll head to Arizona on Sunday with Josh Jackson. We'll be covering the Cactus League. But Sam had a, a great concept in which – we kind of wanted to discuss what spring training means from our vantage point. Spring training is my favorite time of year uh, because you just get that hope that things are going to be okay when the sun is shining and you get to watch baseball in a live context. And it's so awesome for fans because it is that feeling of the rest of the year is coming and it's coming in a positive light. And soon we're going to get to do this at our home major league ballpark. We'll get to sit outside in shorts and t-shirts on a summer night and everything's going to be great, but it's a very different experience uh, for what, fans are going down there to see and what we're going down there to see in terms of prospect covers it's even different for us what we need to see and what we go down to observe versus what writers on the big league side do and sam wanted to talk about that which i think is a, a really cool idea for a segment our apologies to benjamin hill but we'll catch up with ben next week uh but yeah let's uh let's roll on this sam yeah so um the way things kind of work for us is obviously we're focusing on prospects and as we've noted you know, throughout the winter, going into the spring, some of these guys get major league, you know, invitations to spring training. That means when we show up, they're going to be in the major league clubhouse. They're going to be rubbing elbows with, you know, some of your favorite stars. Uh, a lot of times that makes for a good storyline. You know, what are you doing by watching, uh, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury every day or Freddie Freeman every day or, you know, whatever going down the line, uh, Mookie Betts every day. Uh, so we get to kind of see them in that atmosphere um, that's an availability for us. You know, we get to talk to them there uh, before they get out for their workouts. Um, but I think the thing that we do perhaps more than other, you know, your favorite major league beat writer is travel to the backfields. Uh, one thing I try to do at every camp, I try to meet up with the player development director, uh, try to get his scope of things, talk to him about individual players, uh, talk to him about the system as a whole, try to kind of get the lay of the land. And usually that happens near the backfields where all these minor leaguers are practicing, uh, you know, where they're getting in their BP, where they're getting in their players fielding practice, because a lot of minor leaguers, you know, we've talked to several on this podcast who have said they've come early, but reporting dates weren't until this very last week. Um, that's why we're showing up when we're showing up because we want to show up when all the prospects are there. Uh, we don't want to show up just when the made, you know, major league invite guys are there. Um, so, you know, we kind of get to see them in a little different different atmosphere. Uh, I want to say away from the bright lights, but obviously everybody's working out in the morning, so it's it's not that same thing. But away from the major league facilities, um, it, and it's a little bit more raw in the backfields if you've ever been there. Uh, we said last week, you know, how, how easy it is to see workouts on the backfields. Once the games get going, it's even easier to see those. Um but yeah, it's it's just such a fun experience back there, and it's so loose, and everybody's 
you know, so easy to talk to and that kind of thing. Uh, so that just makes for so much more fun to be there in person. Um, and for part of this too is, you know, we're, we're working out of our different locations. We're watching video, uh, we're talking to our sources, but a lot of it fun is, or a lot of the fun is getting to these, know these guys in person. I mean, it's one thing when we talk to them over the phone, uh, but making these personal connections that we can use later on down the line, that's what makes this job fun too. In, in this particular instance, I remember talking to Dom Smith last year at spring training, uh, just went up to him at Mets camp and said, Hey, thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And his face just lit up. He was so, he was like, Oh man, that was so much fun. I'm so glad you guys asked. <laughs> uh, that was great. Um, so, you know, to, to kind of make these connections with these guys be, be something other than, uh, you know, somebody who's just a byline, uh, it makes it fun for us. And, uh, you know, it, it makes the quotes so much better. Uh, it makes the story so much better. And that's why spring training is almost one of my most fun times to write, uh, beyond just be there and bask in the optimism. Uh, it's so much more fun to write during this period than I think other times of the season. Yeah, there really is something inspiring about being able to cover stories at spring training that you feel like are probably pretty unique uh, to your experience at spring training. And I had a, a similar thing happen last year with Jeff Hoffman, uh, who we had on the podcast back shortly after he was drafted by the Blue Jays uh, and was coming back from Tommy John surgery and all that kind of stuff. And um, it was a, a similar moment as you had with Dom Smith in that these guys are still just kind of getting their first taste of that. Uh, Dom Smith even more than Jeff Hoffman because Hoffman played at the college level where you get a little bit of exposure to media interest and fan interest and that kind of stuff. But for a lot of these guys, they're learning those things just as much as you're learning how to command a new pitch or a difference in your swing. Um, so that is really neat for us. The other thing I love, and I know, Sam, that you've had these experiences too, the people in player development roles for major league organizations, I've not encountered – I can think of one interview that I've had, and this will be my fourth season with MILB. I can think of one interview that I've had in which a guy seemed like – he would rather be doing anything else in the world than talking to me. And it was an in-season interview after a game team that was getting on the bus for a road trip in a, a stressful moment of a, of a season. And I understand those, but in spring training, it seems like everybody is so there. They're all so present in the moment and they're all so willing to help you out with anything that you need. And I can't tell you how many conversations end with take my card, take my phone number, whatever it is, whatever you need. If you ever have a question about one of our guys, if you ever have something that you're just curious about on the player development side, give me a call, send me a text, whatever it is. And that's to me, one of the really coolest things about this time of year is I think everybody is in that mode of like knowing why you do what you do and loving why you do what you do. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that too has to do with, you know, this is the time we can kind of say, I knew them when. I mean, so much of that is what prospect coverage is, what minor league coverage is in the first place. And that, that makes our job so much fun, too. You know, when a, when a guy like Corey Seager goes on to win, you know, rookie of the year in a runaway, and, and we can remember what he was like, you know, in, in Tulsa. Uh, right. Or, you know, in Oklahoma City. Um, that's great. Uh, but... Yeah, it, just that combination of, okay, here's a prospect who we think is going to bloom, and also it's springtime, so everybody feels like there's they're going to bloom. It's just so much fun to be around people in that kind of instance, being around the fans. Um, you know, I, I do recommend it. I know it's not easy for everybody to do. Trust me, 
I'm going to Atlanta or Atlanta's spring training on Friday, I think. And that's in Disney world, which they charge Disney world prices for spring training. Not easy. <laughs> uh, Legitimately, there are tickets for $64. What? Yeah. To spring huh. training games. So I know it's not easy, but if you're in the Florida area, if you're in the Arizona area, if you're looking for something to do, you know, as a, a as a memorable family outing uh, and your kids have vacation, you know, in February during spring training, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're around while we're here, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday and you know you're going to be in Florida or in Arizona, reach out to us. I mean, it's as much fun to, to for us to, to interact with you guys as it is for us to interact with players. You know, we don't get to write that up. That's not part of our job technically. Uh, that's not why they pay us. But um, we'd love to talk to you guys about, you know, what we're doing, what you're looking for, uh, what you are excited about for the season. You know what the other thing is, too, if you get a chance to go down and hang out on backfields, Scouts are very easy to pick out. Uh, they all seemingly wear the same thing. They're all carrying around a radar gun. They've all got charts and clipboards and that type of stuff. Ten minutes talking with a scout is the most fascinating ten minutes that you'll have as a baseball fan ever. So if you're on the backfields, you see somebody who looks like they're approachable, looks like they don't really have anything going on, start up a conversation. In spring training, everybody's open to a conversation, it seems like. Uh, and, yeah. Maybe somebody will tell you to beat it, but uh, I really doubt that that will happen. And you'll glean so much from a conversation like that that you never knew before uh, that it makes you a more intelligent fan. And not only that, it just kind of makes you a more intelligent observer of anything because it's all lessons you can really apply the way guys react to certain situations, what you're giving for, or what you're looking for in any given moment that's going on in a baseball field. Or a guy strikes out, watch what he does in the dugout. Watch how he reacts to something. If he goes over and immediately talks to a coach, wondering what happened versus slamming a helmet down and freaking out about a strikeout. Those types of things make you more intelligent as somebody who observes the game and observes really anything else outside of it. Yeah. And, and, and you're rarely ever going to get it to be on a level like this, right? Uh, like spring training, you know, right behind those dugouts in some instances, or at least on the same level and not, you know, 15 rows up. Um, so yeah, I, I can't say it enough. It, it is a fun opportunity. Um, so yeah, so if you get the chance, if you, if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity, take advantage if you can. And let us know, podcast at MILB.com, or you can tweet at us. I am at Tyler Mon, Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB. And uh, that'll do it for this segment. When we return, we'll wrap things up and, again, give you a preview of uh, what we got coming up on the show next week from spring training in Florida and Arizona. And we'll put the finishing touches on the centennial episode of the show before the show podcast coming up next. One hundred episodes of the show before the show podcast in the books. One hundred episodes. One hundred yeah, episodes, Sam. You can't see it, but there's definitely confetti in my room. That's it's a one person party, but I am enjoying the heck out of it. It's so. four point one six seven days of my life that we've been <laughs> on this show. Have you been <laughs> running that math this entire episode? I finally just busted out my phone to use a calculator. Oh, okay. I, I thought that. it was a calculator that was like adding it up as we were going along. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a calculator from the 1860s. Been doing work for quite some time. Uh, it was an adding machine. Uh, no, so we are uh, we're putting the finishing touches on this one. Uh, but coming up next week, we are going to have a loaded spring training edition of the show. And Sam came up with the brilliant idea to call it Spring Training 101. So we're coming up with that next week for episode number 101. Sam, what do you got uh, on the docket? When we go down there, we 
have league-wide credentials. Josh and I have a Cactus league-wide credential. Sam has a Grapefruit league-wide credential. Because one thing that I learned in my first year going to spring training back in 2014, 2015, was that basically whatever you have planned on a given day will change the moment that you attempt to do it. So it's kind of, you have to be very fluid with what you attempt to do and what you end up doing on any given day. But what's what's in the offing for, what do you have planned to get accomplished? Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is that I'm going to, you know, have like five guys I want to talk to knowing that the way workouts, you know, sit, sit, situate themselves, you know, way, the way the schedule works out, the way other interviews work out, I may get to two or three of them. Um, so it's all about research the night before and, you know, research that I already have, um, thankfully, you know, through this job. Um, but I'm going to be hitting up the Yankees, Phillies, Braves, Red Sox, Pirates, Mets, Astros, Nationals, and Cardinals. Um, like I said earlier, you know, talking to player development directors at each of those stops, um, working on my prospect primers, uh, who I think I have the Braves, Phillies, Red Sox, and Nationals. Um, so I'll be saving some of that stuff some of that kind of content for the prospect primer primers. Um, but I'll be doing a story a day kind of on focusing on one prospect or one situation. And then also a blog post, which is just kind of emptying the notebook. Um, what else I kind of got out of the day and between my observations and, you know, between some of the other interviews. So, uh, lots coming basically every day, you know, here for me until the 17th, um, with you and Josh, in Arizona, I think we're going to have that that state pretty well blanketed. Uh, there's going to be no cactus uncovered or left covered, I should, I should say. Um, yeah, so this is going to be an exciting time for the site. We're going to have tons of new stuff. Check back every day. Uh, check back every night. You know, we're, we're going to be filing a lot of this stuff the afternoons, early evening. Um, so, or you know, check the the site's Twitter account. Check our Twitter accounts for videos, uh, other things that we tweet out while we're here. Um, it's, it's going to be coming hot and fast and then it's, uh, and then the season will be here and then we're right back on schedule. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun um, for prospect primers. I've got white Sox, Rockies, Royals, and Padres, and um, we don't want to give away everybody's, uh, story assignments, but Josh obviously is our, our Dodgers guru, so he'll be headed out to Camelback Ranch. We'll both be at Camelback Ranch because I'll have the uh, the White Sox. My first question is going to be, how much does everybody in that organization hate Sam for vetoing the vote of the White Sox having the top pitching farm system in baseball? So that'll be question number one, and uh, you know we'll see what they have to say. Yeah, you bring that to Rick Hahn himself. <laughs> Maybe I will, Sam. Maybe I will. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> he, might, he might not actually like me for all I know. Who? I the, who I is this one, Dykstra? Ah. I, I was the one guy at the winter meetings who who brought up the fact that Giolito and Lopez weren't that great in the majors and if that <laughs> affected their thinking at all. And he was just like, no, no, we're confident. Nice job, I'm, Sam. What, what are you doing asking me that question? That's going to be the first question I get from him is, wait a minute, do you know Sam Dykstra? I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Dang it. It's ruined. Then, and then you're just going to disown me to, to get an interview. <laughs> no, I don't I know. Sam Dykstra, never heard of him. Is he Lenny's son? It's the first question we get about Sam from everybody. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're really excited for next week. This is going to be a ton of fun. Sunday night could not come soon enough for me. And uh, Josh, I believe, is driving Sunday during the day. So I'm going to make him pick me up from the airport, and it'll be great. And uh, you enjoy uh, tomorrow. That was a great interview you had with, insert player's name here, uh, for this episode and you know um continue doing great work with guys like that yeah like with guys like him 
<laughs> what a great person that was. All right. It was great. All right. Talk to you next week. I'll do it. Talk to you next week.